Hey friends, it's Melvin. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Here's just a few quick things I wanted to notify you guys about before we get started. First up, very soon, new episodes will be releasing Wednesday mornings rather than Tuesday. So don't panic if you don't see a new episode on Tuesday. Just wait a little longer and you'll see it in your feed. Second, we've introduced a mailbag. Check those show notes and toward the bottom you'll see a mailbag link. You'll then be able to text us any questions you might have about movies, the movie industry, or any movie-slash-Christian-related questions you might have. Then we'll respond in a future episode, so send us your questions now. Up next, Patreon polls, which are available to Patreon supporters at the $3 tier or higher, have been updated. Supporters can now suggest films or shows to be reviewed at the end of each month. The two most liked submissions will become the options for the Patreon poll, so if you want to hear us talk about your favorite movie or show, join our Patreon and start campaigning. And lastly, whether you're a new or long-time listener, please consider writing a review or rating the Cinematic Doctrine podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Apart from financially supporting on Patreon, these are the two most helpful ways to support the show. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. You're listening to Cinematic Doctrine. But, uh, hey, if you just press play, you're missing a literal hour. <laughs> okay, not a literal hour. It's 59 minutes. But a literal hour of Oscar <laughs> nomination talk. Uh, what was intended to be 20 minutes, because I thought it was possible, um, is now proven to be impossible. Uh, we have talked an hour about the Oscar nominations, specifics. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the lists. If not, I guess that's okay, because we list all of them. Sir, Oscar Spectacular, folks. Special double-length edition. Uh, but if you want to hear our thoughts on the nominations and what we think will win, which ones we've seen, all that jazz, support on Patreon for $3 a month. You get access to a lot of pre-show content stuff. Uh, this alone is one hour of content. But uh, all combined with all the other stuff, it's several hours of pre-show content uh, with a myriad of other topics. So support on Patreon for $3 a month for that. You can, of course, support for more if you'd like. Uh, but if you just want to support for three, that's fine. You get access to all the other stuff you'll hear about all the other stuff as you listen to the episode with little call to actions that cut in so we can um so we can just get started here uh we are going to be talking about uh the hit 2003 movie best daredevil adaption daredevil Um, featuring ben affleck and jennifer garner i'm saying best because in light of the oscars we thought it was a good time um the mtv awards uh honey as well as the kids choice awards honey of the year um and uh we are yeah we we were doing this because patreon supporters picked it again if you support on patreon you get to choose stuff so melanie what is the actual plot and story yeah i guess we'll i guess we'll get going uh how does how does it go how does tell us a story (laughs) (laughs) once upon a time in hell's kitchen um so i so the beginning of the film is is very like dark and gritty you get like this picture of the city of hell's kitchen and um it it's like the beginning is like a panning over of the the church that's in the that's in hell's kitchen but as it's like slowly panning up you're getting these flashes of like people fighting so you see like electra daredevil bullseye but you're not really sure what's going on but when you finally get to the top of the church you see daredevil kind of just 
hanging on to the cross that's like at the top of the church. Don't, Just, shouldn't we all be doing this? <laughs> this that is, is, that is a Christian. famous comic book cover from Guardian Devil, to be fair. So. Awesome. <laughs> I, I figured it was very posy, so I'm like, there's got to yes. be a reason that that's there. Um, so after it pans to that, the next thing you see is I think he falls into the chapel. Yeah, not a good start. <laughs> it's like, whoa, what's happening? the first happening? chuckle of the movie. <laughs> right. And it's just like, how did he go from the top and then fall from the ceiling into the chapel? I don't know. Anyway, the point is, is that he falls. He's found injured by the priest that's there. And the priest unmasks him and seems to like know him already. But it's like, just in case you couldn't see his face, he brings a candle real close. <laughs> to his face Mm -hmm. so you can see him and he's like matthew matthew so that's i guess how you know that he's um familiar with him that he knows who he is even maybe even before Mm -hmm. he unmasked him daredevil then says you're um they say that your life flashes before your eyes before you die it's even true if you're blind (laughs) it's like okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) i was like what (laughs) it's just a weird thing to say but um but he doesn't go back all the way to the beginning when he was like a little kid. He kind of just, they just take it back to when he's a Blinding teenager. Flash of light. <laughs> Very wet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it, the, we, we get to a scene where he's, um, he goes home. His dad is like slumped in, in um, on the sofa in front of the TV. So Matt decides to wake him up and help him back into the bed. But he also like confronts his dad about the rumors. But the only you don't really know exactly what his dad does at this time, but you know that he worked like working for a guy he, named Fallon is like bad news. He worked at a high school investigating spider bites. <laughs> what? Because he's also the same guy who's the dad from Hangman's Curse. No, he's not. <laughs> yes, really? he is. Yes, he is. <laughs> So he wasn't resting in front of the couch. He was being taunted <laughs> and abused by April Fry. From his spider bite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you didn't see it on his arm. I saw it. It was totally I there. I completely forgot about that. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I right. also did not put that together. <laughs> yep. It's him. It's him. <laughs> it's totally him. Right. It's, well, that means he's in real movies. Why is right, he like also, he's in real yeah. movies? Yeah. <laughs> also in Hangman's Curse, uh, which I think also released in 2003. What a <laughs> so, year. Wow. I think that might have mentioned it in the episode. And just I think forgot. you did. Um, so, yeah. So, he, um, uh, his father denies it, says that he's just working at the docks and he doesn't have time to get mixed up in anything else. Um, and then he notices that his son has an injury and then that kind of affirms what, um, what I was saying earlier that he doesn't want his kid to fight, but he wants him to focus on his education. So he's like, you don't hit anybody, just hit the books. So it's like, good advice. <laughs> good advice. <laughs> um, but in the, in the next scene, Matt is, we're assuming he's making his way home. And as he's going through the, the docks, he finds his dad, um, collecting money and also threatening this person on behalf of this villain that we have Fallon. And so his son is like shocked by what he's seeing. He runs away, but as he's running away, we pan- like the next scene is just lots and lots and lots of hazardous waste. Yes. In, like toxic these barrel. barrels, <laughs> like these toxic barrels and they're it's everywhere. So, <laughs> so, um, I, this is where I watch up to in the, the director's cut. And I actually, to show kind of like the subtle, but kind of really significant differences and the director's cut, he there is a scene right before this where you see him at the docks 
asking where his dad is. And yeah. a guy tells mm-hmm. him, like, oh, your dad hasn't returned months, actually. Yeah. And then he drops his report card on the ground and in no puddle where you see he's gotten straight A's. And then oh. he walks over to then he keeps walking and he runs his and like this this is it's it's a small but significant change for A, it gives you a context for why he's even there. B it actually ties into the earlier scene because his dad's like, oh, like, don't don't hit the bag, hit the books. And you see that his son actually was applying himself. But you also yeah. like Matt Murdoch seems genuinely disappointed and like betrayed by his father. So that like, adds yeah. a lot. And also and, it doesn't um, make it as comical when he in the in the cut in the theatrical cut. It just shows him going there. He sees his dad beating someone up. Well, he runs away. Yeah, yeah. And right. then he drops his report card, which yes. is almost like comical. It, it makes it, it's like insult to injury. That's what it comes across as, which is something you do in like a comedy or something like that. It just makes it silly. Whereas like, yes, I, I did know about that difference in the director's cut that like the power of editing, it just makes it, it come across better because he's upset. Just so changed. he's like, yeah. my dad lied to me. I'm throwing down the report card. Why am I going to listen to him anyway? It totally changes how it comes across. Um, whereas, yeah, the the expediency of the theatrical cut, which is still like an hour and 48 minutes, it's pretty long, um, does just affect <laughs> a lot of the narrative. It's very interesting. You may not know this, but the easiest way you can show your support for Cinematic Doctrine is to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. So press pause and share your thoughts. We'd love to hear what you have to say. And then press play again so you can hear the rest of the show. So he sees his dad doing this terrible thing. He's he's shocked. He's um, upset. So he runs away. His dad chases after him. And as all this like hazardous chemicals are being um, handled. There's like a, a freak accident. One of the barrels gets broken open and all of it just kind of gets doused onto his face. And so then um, we hear this big noise, um, almost like a, like a splashing of a wave or just something really, really loud, which then wakes Matt up and he finds himself in the hospital, but he's, he's not able to see cause his eyes are covered in these bandages. But what woke him up was something like sounding like a huge crashing sound. But then as we look around in the hospital room, it's like the sound of his IV, the IV like dripping. That's yeah, just it's a little silly. For, right. <laughs> so it's like, cute. but it's supposed to illustrate how his sense of hearing is like very, very sensitive. But yeah, so his father comes in um, in the next scene. It looks like he's able to adjust a little bit more to his new senses and his father apologizes. But this is the part that I didn't quite get. He says something like they made a silent promise to never give up. Yeah. To be (laughs) fearless. Yes. And then this is the one that got me the most to stick up for the long shots like them. Yeah, I don't know what that meant. (laughs) I didn't really understand. So it's just like, there's nothing in the film that explains why they would have like that silent agreement with each other. Yeah, it's silly. Yeah, it's it's very silly. But it's a montage scene, right? So the dad is training to go back into boxing because he doesn't want to do his old life anymore or work for Fallon. And then his kid is like, of course, still sticking to the, you know, like his studying and whatnot. But he has like, 
his senses have superhuman sharpness and his like heightened sound gives him like this radar, like echolocation, like we were talking about where he can see um, in a certain way. But he, and this is also the part that makes me laugh. It's like he trains himself to do all the things that he can do, like jump from one building to another, to be able to fight, to be able to like do all these like crazy things. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. would a kid with zero experience (laughs) really be able to teach himself how to do these things? And it's quick. Very quick. Very quick. quick. Very Uh, quick. But it's cool, guys. It's super cool. Oh my gosh. It's okay. Like, I don't think it's necessarily fair to always pick apart superpower logic because superpowers are not real and they don't make sense anyway. Right. But like, even if he had heightened senses, that doesn't necessarily explain why he'd also be able to do martial arts or like any of the things he does, which, you know, the first unfair comparison to the Netflix show. It's established that he specifically trains with a sensei in order to become good at these things. In general, I find that the Netflix version of battling Jack Murdoch is just a better character. Like, uh, oh yeah, yes. Not not just because he has more time because he's a TV show, but like the whole sequence where, not to get ahead of the plot description here, but the whole sequence where like you see him making that decision not to throw the fight. Um, it's so much more sad and tragic and more effective in a Netflix show mm. where he's like, I'm, I'm, my kid's going to finally see me win, you know? And then like, yeah. Uh, versus in the movie here where it's like this super long slow-mo thing where he's just seeing going, dad, dad. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's just, yeah. So he's got all this confidence. He's rooting for his dad at his next fight. But he, uh, his dad in the locker room is approached by Fallon, that um, criminal, who says, like, you're only winning these fights. You're 42. You're old. You're only winning these fights because I all they were all my fighters and I told them to let you win. But he's like, but now I need you to take the fall. And then, of course, the dad is going to, but then looks at his son and is like, no, I don't want to do that. So then he gets up and he wins the fight. So his dad refuses to do what Fallon um, wanted him to do so. Um, the next scene is his father's like coming out of the um, of the building, and he's uh, jumped by. I don't know how many men there were. I think there were. It was definitely more than one. Enough, but there was enough where <laughs> yeah. he's basically just <laughs> yeah. and then I uh, beaten to death in the alley. And um, what I thought was actually particularly sad, because I didn't remember it the first time, is that Matt can't see his father die, but he hears his heart stop. Mm-hmm. And I actually thought that that was pretty sad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was like, that's, I like that that's, yeah, I, I did like that detail. Um, but he, but of course, we, for the audience, we noticed that the killer who landed the last blow left a a rose, which is something we'll see later in the film. Mm -hmm. So, so Mm -hmm. Matt makes his own silent vow to himself this time. um, (laughs) That he, it's, it's not funny that his dad died, but um, (laughs) just to be clear, to be clear, (laughs) to be clear. um, But the silent vow of, again, not really sure where the two, I guess I can kind of see where the two connect now, but um, he makes, it makes a silent vow of justice for the oppressed, but I think we know that it's more out of just his own desire for vengeance, you know, just in what's what happened with stuff. his father. Yeah, superhero stuff. So then we have the next scene, which I dubbed Matt's morning routine. 
which I thought was, <laughs> which I thought was really great. First, he yes, gives waterbed yeah. a whole new meaning. Yes, super super cool. operation tank. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so super he cool. gets out of the tank, gets dressed. I thought the the braille details were interesting, mm-hmm. but I wonder how much of that people actually use um, who are um, who are blind. Like, do they actually still have like those labels? Like on the, it was just like an, an afterthought. I was like, oh, I wonder how much of this stuff um, people actually do. So on on this particular thing, like he uses like a uh, water sensory deprivation tank, uh, which looks like it has his logo on it, which I think is right. (laughs) D D on it. Don't ask me why. I I wonder who he hired to do that. It's pretty (laughs) neat. Um, Or if he did it like Airbnb, where they just found an old logo book, and he just happened to be like, "I like that D. I'm going to double it." Double D. That'll be my name. It's double D. <laughs> so he, uh, yeah, I like the sensory deprivation tank. And I actually like comparing to the Marvel Netflix Daredevil. Uh, Marvel Netflix Daredevil, uh, which I guess is now Disney Plus a Daredevil. Um, not as fun to say it that way and harder to explain. But uh, he's more, I feel like in this Daredevil, he's more blind. Or at the very least, they sh- he showcases. They right. show that he's more blind. Whereas yeah. like... He's later on, he'll like see smoke, which is weird. <laughs> I'm assuming that's him using his smell and hearing to right, like, right. to be able to in place where smoke is, but it's a little silly that like it comes out naturally. Like, like <laughs> right. you should be able to, like, I don't get that. It's silly. Right. Um, but there's a real sense that like, um, he really is both heightened by his senses. Cause this is daredevil essentially has superpowers, um, with the way he can jump and, and get around and, like kind of how his senses function, uh, but also actually has the disadvantage of not being able to see uh, in particular cases. And I, I, I like that because in Marvel yeah, Netflix yeah. daredevil, it's just Matt Murdock can see like the world's on fire. He can see it. It's fine. <laughs> like That's it. <laughs> it, it so. Yeah. And it's like, this is something that I in general, like about this era of superhero films, particularly for Marvel where they're, it's a it will become a big strength and weakness of the movie especially as we go along um but they you get a sense that they weren't working from necessarily a template like they de- this movie definitely falls into some of the cliches of the era the costumes all look super cool post matrix you know post mm. post yeah. which i like by the way i like this daredevil suit i, I do think like the daredevil cool. suit it's i think it's, it's really neat. cool it it, but it definitely looks like it's from the same like costume store, yes, like the X Men right. costumes or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, they're not afraid to lean into being odd or silly. And so, like, I think I could see someone seeing their pitch for like, yeah, he goes around his apartment, it's dark, and he gets in a sens- sensory deprivation tank because he's because he can hear so hard, you know. And it's just right. like, um, and I can see someone be like, that's kind of weird. But like here, I think a it just it really works, but it also gives a movie like personality. Like you really get a sense that this guy is a is going through a unique experience, and throughout the movie, like even the way the illustrator's powers, which boy howdy are they dated, it definitely yes. gives the movie like a real sense of style that you don't like. I mean, style in the sense that they're kind of ripping off like Matrix and Crouching Tiger, but like yes, yes, it's, yes, yes, it still is a unique style. While a lot of the Marvel Netflix shows. And a lot of action movies in general these days all feel like they hire the same three or four uh, um, choreographers and they Mm. all do the same like mixed pseudo martial arts stuff, you know. But yeah, in general, the way they illustrate his powers and there's there's particular stuff involving Rain, I think that they nail really well. And I think it, it also ages well. Enjoying this episode? 
Grab that share link and tell your friends. Word of mouth is the most effective way for a podcast to reach new listeners, so don't be shy. Share the episode wherever you can. I think the next scene that we see after he has um, shown us his morning routine um, is we see him working as his regular day job as a lawyer, and he is defending a woman who was raped by a man named Mr. Casada. And I like how we can kind of see him using his um, his hearing to tell if someone's lying or not. So while the guy is on um, on the stand, he can hear like his heartbeat and mm-hmm. and maybe going too fast or at a certain rhythm where you can tell that he's lying. But when the whole thing is on the inter- the interaction is done, he says, "I hope justice is served today before justice finds you." Which I feel like if I were the judge, <laughs> so I'd be like, awesome. "What? What did uh, you just say?" <laughs> like, it it is comical how evil the guy on the stand is. Like, he right. is looking this woman it, in the eye, just basically saying the like, worst yeah, thing. Yeah, say. I did it. You know. <laughs> Like how does he get but away he still with gets that? Away I know. With it. It's so and funny. I love how the answer is that he had. They're like, there's no way he could afford that lawyer. It must. Oh, he must have been paid for by the kingpin. So, but he gets yeah. off um, of the charges, and um, so he's like, well, I'm not gonna go out tonight. I'm gonna seek out justice. So he gets. It's like the superhero suit up scene. Which I was actually curious because awesome. when you look at some of the men doing it, I'm like, I think that's the stunt guy because that doesn't really look exactly like Catholic. <laughs> so when he's doing like flipping the weapons and stuff like that, I thought that was pretty fun. And then he does his little acrobatic leaps over the rooftops. Yeah. Not walking <laughs> normally, just showing his super strength. Um, and he is able to find... Uh, the guy, Mr. Casada, And I love how they find him, how they just look up at the ceiling and Daredevil's just like right there staring yes. at them. I'm like, like, yo, is that real? Yeah, that's real. What do you want? And I what's the answer? Cool. Justice. Justice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he throws so cool. the stick at his face. Yeah, yeah. Like, right at his neck why. or something. It's then so cool. It just hits him in the lip. It's just like, I'm just yeah. going to throw my stick at your face. <laughs> and I don't know why I thought that was so funny. It's so but great. It's, it's so blunt and direct yes. for like yes. superheroes. Like, like uh. <laughs> he's not shooting lasers or like moving right. gravity around. He just throws a <laughs> stick at him. He doesn't right. throw the stick with like the attachment still in his hand. So no. it's like he threw it and now he has to go get it. Like, right. so it just, <laughs> it's like it's awesome. And like it It'd be like it's... if Batman had one batarang. <laughs> 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 Every person he hits, he has to go pick it up. <laughs> right. So, oh, so, so the fight scene ensues. And one of my favorite scenes is when he uses a guy's body to slide down the rail. I don't know if Which you know that. Which also happens in Catwoman. <laughs> Not a rail, but there's body surfing. But I thought that that was <laughs> hilarious. And then um, when he finds... You're you're like in the fight scene, you're also seeing like how he sees. Mm-hmm. So I think it's interesting how certain sounds will affect him and others won't. And I didn't know if you guys had any thoughts on that. But like with all the bullets flying, like he's still able to kind of perceive what's happening. Um, but he he follows Casada into like um because of course the guy runs away after he's like finished beating everybody up and setting only the pool tables on fire, which I thought was also very interesting. <laughs> um he gets to the train station um and it's the sound of the train that like hurts his ears. So I was like, what would be the difference between like 
tons of bullets, like from different guns versus the train. Like why screechy would one noise sound bad. like? Screechy <laughs> <right? laughs> well, so noise bad. The idea yeah. is that like noises that cause more echoes. I think is the idea. Oh, okay. That's the idea, but it's like it, it is inconsistent. It's one of those things that they only bring it up, but it's like relevant. Like later, right. particularly, is an important scene involving bullseye where it's highlighted. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's one of those. Th- it's like depending on how important and relevant it is to the plot, they'll bring it up. I think right. we're supposed to just assume that at this point, also, he's just really trained his ear to listen for things, or whatever. right. So, yeah. If we if we dwell on it too much, eventually, yeah, we'll, it's like, yeah. <laughs> the decibel count isn't accurate. Never yeah. seen, but yeah, <laughs> I, I was just disappointed that the sound editing here is. I guess during the fight scene, they're trying to showcase which noises he's listening to, but yeah. it just sounds bad. Like it is not fair, and yeah. that's on top of the fact that the um cinematography choreography that's what i'm going to call it where the camera is being placed and what it's showing you um not the editing although that's part of it but where the camera is and how it's being handled it's like shaking dutch angles it's just a mess and again it's not as bad as catwoman that is like like if you have not watched catwoman in a long time and you want to know what a bad movie looks like you gotta put that on because it it'll blow your mind um Mm. how bad the editing is here but like in in daredevil the fight scenes are more comprehensible, but ruined by at least this one in particular by a combination of the sound being weird, um, where like some sounds just aren't audible, which yeah. is weird, and then other sounds again, yeah, are kind of like mixed weird, and yeah, I just it, it was very, very, very frustrating to to essentially have that happen because they do not do that in the Daredevil show at all. I don't think they showcase particular sounds they don't necessarily do the sherlock problem where sherlock is capable of just solving the problem and we'll never figure it out because of sherlock like in the bbc uh sherlock but so like marvel netflix isn't just like giving him sounds that he can hear that i can't so i'll never figure it out they just level everything the same um but in this movie it seemed like they intently wanted to like okay he's deaf or he's blind let's play up with other senses and I don't know. Maybe that yeah. fell through when in pre-production they were pitching the 4D experience and they were like, well, theaters don't have 4DX yet. What do you mean they don't have 4DX yet? <laughs> right. And they had to, didn't have money to upgrade all of them. But. It was a very confusing conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah. It's a bummer, is all I'm saying. Hey, don't forget, there's a lot of fun content missing from this episode because you're not listening on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine and support for $3 a month to gain access to uncut episodes with upwards of 40 minutes of bonus content each. You'll thank me later. I'll also say that Joe Quesada is the name of Marvel Comics editor in chief. I wonder how you felt about his oh. name being used for this particular character. <laughs> and being uh, killed. <laughs> yeah. It's like I want him to be absolute scumbag. I he cuts him- bad deals. And then I and that's want... why we cut him in half. <laughs> yeah. Like it's funny watching this daredevil just several times, basically killing people when <laughs> like, well, he's not religious in this really. He's he... religious, but not as devout. Yeah. Say. He yeah. He goes to confession. Yeah. He's friends with a priest. And then Appar- spoilers, allegedly. the one character that he could kill for reason doesn't kill. <laughs> Why yeah. is everybody else? He's sort of <laughs> right. killing for quote unquote justice. 
Yeah, so he um the the sound of the train starts to affect him. The guy like sees that he's distracted, so he puts the gun to his head and he's able to feel the gun, I guess, and then push the guy away and then he hurts his back or something snaps <laughs> and the guy falls <laughs> onto the train and he can't the train tracks and he funny. can't get up. So Daredevil, I don't remember everything he specifically said. I don't know if you guys do, but he said something like the light at the end of the tunnel, that's not heaven that's the sea train or something <laughs> yeah. like that yes <laughs> it's it would have been so much better if he didn't throw in the last part if he just went that's not heaven He'd be like oh that's, <laughs> that's a pretty standard one-liner for action movie right that's the sea train added- okay right. yeah we, we get it he's gonna get run over a train so the train <laughs> runs over this guy and basically cuts him in half <laughs> the wheels get closer he's just like so the wheel is going to run over <laughs> he just starts right. explaining exactly what's happening the train it's already gone. The guy's cut half be and cut dead. In and half. then as the train continues to the next yeah. station. <laughs> You're currently dying. You're currently standing for a lord in judgment where you'll go over his... <laughs> Yeah. The police show oh up and gosh. they just see a bottle logging. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, there. I'm not finished. <laughs> okay, I'm done. Let me get my kerosene out. I gotta write my logo. On the oh my floor. gosh, yes, that is that's so funny. The next thing that happens. So when the, did he so do it, that? Why did he do that? <laughs> right. How did he know like, for sure it'd be the two D's? The, where did he keep the gas? Ben Uric, this is for you. <laughs> right. He has so. the little like vials of holy water with gasoline for his logo. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why why Daredevil sounds like this now, but he did, but that's what he sounds like. He sounds like a forty oh year old himself, and he doesn't do it the rest of the movie too. Like he never does the logo thing again. Was that him? Was right. it a fan? Like I don't. Know. It's there's many questions brought up. So. Actually, it was Ben Urich. He got there before. <laughs> He's creating an urban legend like that. But so then he oh, he's creating the urban legend like scary things. <laughs> he's trying to make an urban legend for his project. <laughs> never heard of that movie. Anyway, <laughs> you've never continue, heard of it. The, the movie. <laughs> yeah. So we we see the next scene. the The police are there. They're picking up the two pieces of Casada to take it away, and a journalist comes and is it Uric? Uric. Ben Uric. Uric. So he tries to kind of get the scoop, ask the cops, but they deny the existence of Daredevil. But I guess he like smelled something or saw something on the floor. And rather than take a closer look, he just decides to flick his cigarette at it, which then ignites cool. the letters <laughs> that were written um, on the floor DD for Daredevil. So, superhero, double D. Yes, yeah. double D. <laughs> So um, Daredevil is able to get the villain, but as he's kind of taking off his stuff while he's home in the next scene, he gets dumped by... Which he takes off his mask before he goes into his secret lair. I just want to point that out. I I don't know why he does that. He takes off his mask and then he puts in his code. Oh. Which, if he's blind, why does he need to take off his mask? He, he could have been hot. It could have been itchy. Know, it's he just wanted to take it off. Hey, ben Affleck, <laughs> yeah, one more screen time. The world before yeah. cell phones. <laughs> Um, but he, as he's kind of, um, taking off all his stuff to, to go to bed, he gets dumped by his girlfriend over voicemail, <laughs> which I thought was like, <laughs> yeah. ouch, that stinks. But of course it's the to illustrate his, lo- right. The cost of being a hero. I don't know if he was addicted to painkillers, but he did. It did seem like he took a lot of, or a good amount of them just cause yes. I'm sure he was in a lot of pain. Um, but he goes back to his waterbed and, um, yeah, just a, a good picture of just how this job is a lonely job. So the next scene we have is at a coffee shop 
and it's with his coworker Foggy. Is that his name? Yeah. Nickname? Foggy yeah, Nelson. With- John Fabrio. Yes. Yeah. He makes his appearance. So they're having um, a conversation at the coffee table and they're arguing about um, at the coffee place. Coffee table. I guess it can still be a coffee table. I'm really tired. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to keep talking. That's okay. Um, so <laughs> Every table at a coffee place is a coffee table. <laughs> it's yes. a coffee table, so I guess it counts. Um, so they're there and they're arguing about their clients. <laughs> And yeah, the mustard the, table. With the mustard, why would there be mustard at, <laughs> at, a, it, it, at a coffee it's, place? Uh, which I also a, thought was a little strange. It's like a diner slash coffee. It's uh, a fusion yeah, coffee, coffee it's a, diner, pizza joint, fusion restaurant, <laughs> condiment coffee. So they're arguing because um, his, so Foggy says we need, it's like a Tim uh, and Eric skit. <laughs> Foggy says they need clients with money, but um, Matt is insistent that whoever they choose to defend that they have to be innocent no matter what they're able to pay for. So that gets him upset. And the mustard thing is that while um, Matt is talking, um, his friend Foggy decides to put mustard in his coffee instead of honey, which he asked for or in his tea instead of honey. So um, this, I also thought was a little creepy that he can smell (laughs) beautiful women, I guess, (laughs) or attractive women before they like enter like, the room. So he yeah. kind of makes this face and Foggy's like, where, 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 where are we looking? And he's just like, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> uh, it, it is weird. But that's our introduction to Electra. She walks into the room. She goes, sits like over on the other side of the coffee place. Matt makes a pass at her. Well, he kills a murderer or he kills like a, a, a man who committed Sexual assault. And then and he does then the same he thing. Is very pushy with a woman. Yes. So <laughs> yes. she she makes it very clear that she's not interested. It's almost like he knows she's also a superhero, if that makes sense. It's odd. Like I get what she yes, it, yeah. It, it like he has a sense that there's something unique about her. It's, it's almost as if he's a character in some sort of superhero story yeah, that knows that he's met that knows he's met his love interest. It's it's very it's it's a very strange scene because he's like He's like playing at the fact he's blind to like to like woo her, right? And, uh, he's like playing like more um, like un- unable than he than he is as as yeah. a way to try and like woo her, and then he like follows her out and then he fights her. It's like a very odd <laughs> yeah, sequence of events. It's a very it's very odd. It's so funny. It's it very so odd. funny. <laughs> so I I can't make heads or tails of it. Like I'm just <laughs> I'm very befuddled by the whole sequence. So. But it leads to one of the best scenes of the movie, in my opinion. Yes. But. I mean, I know that it works yes. out. But, I mean, even the fighting scene was kind of silly. And Oh, it's super silly. <laughs> it's it's so silly. And, again, no means no. He should have just left her alone. <laughs> yes. But yes, he definitely should have. Yes. Just to clarify that. But, you know, it's it's the story. It's the time that it came out. Um, so they have um, – he follows her. They have, like, this fight in the park. There's a bunch of kids that are like, fight, fight, fight. Why are they yeah, not concerned awesome. that a man and a woman are it, fighting each other? I have no it, idea. It becomes – it briefly becomes a fighting game. The, the camera yes, zooms yes, out and yeah, he has, like, the pose before the fight starts. It's yes. so well, – He throws stri- his stick into the air, gets into a pose, takes off his jacket, and then catches the stick with, like – a bounce. It's like really right. silly. It's awesome. It's oh, very silly. It. Hey there, listener. Want to influence the podcast? Head on over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine and support the show for $3 a month. In doing so, you'll be able to vote on a movie poll that picks a film we discuss each month. 
So jump on over there and have your voice heard. But the fight scene ends, Electra wins, where she's able to like pin him down, and then mm-hmm. she tells him her name, because I guess now she's interested. Electra Nachios. So we finally meet Fisk. Um, we see him in his tower doing his um, you know, gazing over the city. So cool. And um very boss-like. And um his assistant is saying that he's concerned that their criminal activities are being found out. Um, which is then followed by Mr. Nachios, Electra's father, saying that he wants out of whatever his involvement is with Fisk. Um, Fisk insinuates that he's going to harm his daughter if anything, um, if he does anything like that, where he just says, how's your daughter doing? And Fisk basically plans to, at this point, frame Nachios with all the criminal activity he's being accused of. But then he also follows up by hiring Bullseye, which is the villain that we also see that's our Colin Farrell. So we get to meet him in the next scene. He's drinking a beer while throwing darts like in the same exact pot. (laughs) Well, top of the morning to you, but House of Pain is playing. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case you didn't pick up that he's Irish. Yes. Um, And he wins a bet. So after he gets the call, he's trying to collect from his bet. Um, he gets insulted by one of the guys, like for being an Irishman, and he kills him with a paperclip. Several, which I also <laughs> thought was several paperclips, which I also thought was pretty awesome. I'm like, before John Wick and his pencil, there was Bullseye and the paperclips. Also, we can't we just before we keep going. Uh, both the villains, Colin Farrell's Bullseye and Michael Clark Duncan's Wilson Fisk, are great. Very, Super very, fun. very charismatic. Yes. And I believe in the extended cut, there's more scenes with them, including more fights with Fisk. Uh, and also, uh, Nicholas Nachos, uh, Electra's dad, is played by Eric Avari of Chosen Fame. And so mm. we have more connections to previous episodes. So if you ever wanted to watch Nicodemus be threatened by Wilson Fisk, you got it. You got it. It's happened. So awesome. there you go. Yes. So um, in the next scene, we have Bullseye being annoyed by a very inappropriate older woman like when you listen oh, to some of the stuff great. that she's saying and he kills her with yeah, a peanut he tra- and has her kid. like <laughs> choke on it oh i <laughs> thought this was, was so scary growing up <laughs> yes but it was hilarious just the oh, way that he did so it funny. and he just watched her die too and seemed oh, to really so enjoy it and that was a little creepy but he's also noticeably f- like un- uh, uh, irritated like when yes. they show him response he's like he looks uncomfortable like he's sweating he's like how do i get her to stop i can't right. get her to stop it's so funny it just yes. i want to listen to three days grace by myself without you talking please <laughs> it's so funny i love it man so that was interesting um but then we go back to daredevil who is out on the prowl. He finds a man doing something very similar to what his father was doing, collecting and beating people up to, but this time for Fisk. So when Daredevil does his thing, he gets to his house, beats him up. Um, He finds, this is like the first time he starts to really doubt what he's doing because after he's finished pummeling this guy, he realizes that uh, the guy's son is in the corner, like crying, saying, please don't hurt me. But Daredevil's like, but I'm, no, you don't have to be afraid of me. I'm the good guy. And he start and this is really when he starts to doubt what he's been doing. It's a good parallel to Definitely. the Jack Murdoch stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I did and I did cut I did like that scene that they that they mm-hmm. included it. It's it's another scene that could be really, really good. I think it'd have been stronger if it just had stopped with him standing on the rooftop in the rain. The fact he goes, 
I'm not a bad guy. <laughs> like in the right. rain. Like yes. again, if he just like stop like there's yeah. a this which thing. Is good. Yeah. So Daredevil, uh so Matt goes back into work and notices that he's been invited to a ball, an event by Electra. And while his while Foggy tries to convince him to go, he's very set on not doing it. But then later that night, Electra um meets up with him and they have this very tender moment when they're on a rooftop. And it's a scene where if the rain is falling, then he's able to kind of see things better. So -hmm. he's able to actually see her face for the first time. And I don't know why this came into my head, but when he's like, he's something, he says something like, Oh wow. Or, Oh my goodness. You're so beautiful. I just imagine like, what if he said like the opposite of that? Like how (laughs) that would be. It's like, you're not as beautiful as I thought you were. I think we should see other people. (laughs) You do not look like how you smell. (laughs) (laughs) Which is also a weird thing. Because I'm just like, beautiful people aren't the only, or models aren't the only people that smell nice. So (laughs) I don't understand like how you just know. Um, But anyway, so they have this beautiful, tender moment on the rooftop where they kiss and um, he kind of hears some distressing things happening, but Electra convinces him to stay. Um, They sleep together and she leaves him um, a letter, I guess another copy of the invitation. So then he and his partner decide to go to the party there. They interact with Yurik who wants to ask Matt some questions. I actually thought I might've missed something because I wasn't sure why Yurik wanted to talk to him. Uh, I think they just happen to know him. Like they probably work. uh, I'm, I'm just presuming here that like, because Yurik works in the public field of journalism and like newspaper stuff, he just happens to know the other lawyers um, because they're all working on, they're they're kind of adjacent, like lawyers have to study cases and stuff, but I don't remember the specifics, but the scene mostly exists so that Yurik can help pick up um, uh, Matt Murdock's uh, walking stick, uh, which is distinct and uh, later will realize is uh, important for the plot yeah i mean in the comics like yurik it works is a friend of daredevils and all that stuff um it's implied here yeah for the reasons you're mentioning apparently in the director's cut there's more stuff the big thing that's cut in the uh the big thing that's cut from theatrical that's in the director's cut is this entire subplot with matt murdoch defending a um a a character played named dante jackson who's played by uh rapper coolio Um, cool and it's it, it. There's just more Matt Murdock stuff, and and perhaps in that version, it's more explained that Yurik is familiar with them because you know they're they're the the lawyers who are defending um, people who don't have any money, who can't defend themselves, and so like they're notable for that reason. And as Yurik is someone who's like you know on the beat, he's covering the grounded real life stories here in Hell's Kitchen. You would uh, be aware of them, but yeah, it's something that's not super fleshed out here. And it's, yeah, and the, the theatrical cut here, you definitely get a sense that they cut everything that wasn't necessary. So, like, you get the most, you get the bare bones important scenes yes. to help the plot hold together. And then anything that's even remotely extra seems to have been cut. So, gotcha. Yeah. Um, okay. And it feels like that. It's it, it, the movie does feel like a series of scenes. Um, and I would say mostly good scenes uh up to this point we really haven't ha- watched anything that like yeah i've joked about laughing it's something but i haven't disliked the movie and right. uh but it does feel tethered um not too well and uh it's it's definitely a movie that was 
made to be longer up until, you know, now. <laughs> and so, yeah. So when that moment passes, um, he finds Electra and it's like he smells her to make sure that it's her, which I also thought was kind of weird. Um, cause he goes like, he walks up the stairs cause he can like sense that she's there. And then when he finally gets to her, he like sniffs her neck and then he's like, just wanted to make sure it's like, what if it wasn't me? <laughs> just like sniffing the neck of some random woman. I thought of Hannibal when this happened. Actually. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Did wow. you just smell me? Right. <laughs> so, so they dance and they, you know, <laughs> confide in things and she expresses how she's like, oh, good things don't happen to me. And usually when they do, I get scared. But then Matt promises her something that I just usually don't always think is the best thing to promise anybody, which is that nothing bad was going to happen to her. <laughs> like nothing bad <laughs> which, will as happen. a movie tells you, means right. something. It's uh -oh. like something <laughs> really bad is going to happen. So... um at the party, Fisk threatens Nach uh, Nachios, her her father. Uh, what's his first name? I don't know if we ever get his first name. Uh, <laughs> Dad Nachios. Mr. Nachios. Uh, yeah, so Nachios. Mr. Nachios is threatened and he's scared. So he grabs Nicodemus. his daughter. And Nicodemus. <laughs> and he panics and tells them to leave. Um, so they're in the limo trying to drive away. And that's when Bullseye finally arrives and he attacks them. It's like, he's standing on his motorcycle at one point, like not holding onto the handlebars, which I also thought was really interesting. Um, but of course <laughs> it's like, why does he also have that ability? Like, what does that have right. to do with not missing targets? Right. They're just <laughs> random things that he can do. And I'm like, why can you do this? It's the confidence. In yes. It's like, if you just believe things. it, you can just make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Daredevil, of course, intervenes and uh, they have like this um, fight between the two of them. Uh, the limo crashes into another car. Um, and when the Mr. Nachos is coming out, uh, Bullseye at this point was able to grab Daredevil's weapon and throws it at Nachios. And before Daredevil can go to catch it, um, there's a huge explosion, which then messes with his, um, radar and he's not really able yes. to see exactly where the, um, the weapon is being thrown. So he misses it and it ends up killing Electra's father. But because of the weapon that was used, she just, she didn't see who threw it. She just saw what weapon was there and who was still around. So, um, she decides she's going to try to kill Daredevil. Yeah, so she's, of course, very, very sad that her father has died. Um, and, and of course, Matt is really, really upset. He goes home and, like, throws some things around. And he's just upset that he couldn't do um, what he had come there to do and save him. And just with all that grief, he ends up going to confession. And then he says, because yeah. I wasn't able to remember what the father had said before, but he goes to the priest and says, you were right. Because, yeah, earlier the, the priest tells him, basically warns him off of vengeance. Right. That it's, you know, it's not a, not a good thing to do. And now, he, um, yeah, he's admitting that, like, he sees where vengeance has brought him. It got a guy killed. And yeah, um, we didn't mention it, but that's this is the awesome scene where Daredevil goes, ah, Daredevil, and points at his own head and and flips, flip bullseye, sorry, and flips his flips his cape away and, and walks away. Or the Colin Farrell's absolute scene chewing uh, performances bullseye is just wonderful and the goofy it's scenes so with, with king Pentagray. it it's odd because like gardner and affleck are also goofy but they're not trying to be like they, you get this right. they're trying to be serious and then the villain actors 
are all just having a great time. And it kind of makes you wish the rest of the movie was on the same wavelength where if everyone was purposefully kind of leaning into this particular tone. Cause that's one of the other things that's both a unique feature, but also can is caught why so many people don't like the movie, which is the tones are all over the place. You have a wire foo action scene in a park. You have a serious dramatic scene on a rooftop mm-hmm. with rain. You have some silly villains. You have, um, an attempt at a serious cool tone because of the music choices they're picking. Like while this whole sequence is playing out while bullseye throws shurikens at guys in a limo, Rob zombies, vocals are blasting over the speakers. Which, and it's, it's awesome. Me, you know, blah, blah, you know. Feels like the Raimi Spider-Man movies. It feels like, cause those like Raimi doesn't keep tone. Like he will jump around and have a lot of fun. And of course for him, he, he can, can balance that extremely extremely well and mm. part of what makes i think daredevil confusing is that it's that plus the editing's a little messy and so um when all of the factors aren't being balanced with precision right like with the, yeah, the correct yeah. directing um stuff like tone can become much more confusing now f- for me yeah when i when we were watching this i was just having a ton of fun going from scene to scene because it was like the dramatic scenes when they happened were sometimes okay in particular the i'm not the bad guy he says to the kid when he beats up the dad um and uh some of the dramatic setting of like how daredevil has to live and then i'm also laughing because other scenes are just really goofy and fun and engaging it like yeah with uh bullseye just standing on a motorcycle right rob zombie blasting like to me that that is just that's what I go to the movies for is seeing things that, <laughs> that. don't happen in real life, right? Like this one now. To I'll me, never that's cinema, says yeah. Melvin. <laughs> yeah. Get out of here, Scorsese. Like yeah. that, like this is what it's about. Um, I if I want to see stuff that's real, I can just do that by going on my porch, which is occasionally also very nice. But if I want to see Colin Farrell engage his full accent while killing people with a bullseye and doing super silly stuff, um, committing murder with a very noticeable tattoo like engraved on his forehead which would right. easily identify him like <laughs> yeah. if i want to see that i get that hey 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 we have some patreon goals we're trying to reach if we get enough support we'll review each god's not dead movie as well as the inhumans that really bad marvel show from a couple years ago head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine and share your support So as the movie continues, um, Electra has the funeral for her dad. Matt tries to console her, but she just vows for revenge. And it seems like a silent, like breaking up because she's like, I have to do this and there's no place for me here, which then leads into the iconic um, song, yes. uh, Evanescence song, all of yeah. them. Bring me yeah. to life, baby. Yeah, oh, and then there's so cool. the, <laughs> followed by the bring me to life when she has like her little montage of um, her training session. So um, cool. Oh, yeah, no, it's, so My Immortal plays My during, during the Yeah, I, I called it All of Me. That's a totally other, that's the name of another song. <laughs> that's a that's, John Legend That's song. John Legend. I was like, I feel like this is wrong. Why can't I remember the name of it? My Immortal. My which, Immortal. Which a scene that if it did not have dialogue would be better. This scene, if directed by <laughs> Zack Snyder, would be handled just fine where it's slow motion and kind of pretentiously annoying, but still 
All still right. using my immortal though still right. using my immortal but it, yeah she like walks up to daredevil and he says something and i'm like no don't do this and then like don't don't have dialogue and well, then he, she gets in the car and says drive and i'm like no come on the, stop the real cool thing <laughs> is that it's raining so you can see her and she uses her umbrella purposefully and i wonder if that would that yeah i wonder if that would just hit even harder if they no words were exchanged um, but you're, but before her little montage scene where we hear the song "Bring Me to Life," um, Yurik finds out from the coroner that um, Matt Murdock is the Daredevil because his weapon turns into the same walking stick he saw at the party. And then I think the next scene is when Bullseye um, is uh, meeting with Fisk. Those like fun little moments between the two of them. Yeah, and Fisk fun. basically says, I want you to finish the job. I want you to kill Elektra. And because Yurik knows that Matt is the daredevil, he goes to him, not in his daredevil costume, of course, when he's just being himself, he's being Matt, and says something you need to know about Fisk is that whenever he kills someone, he doesn't just kill them, he kills their whole family. So he's basically warning him that Elektra was in danger. Followed by Elektra's little training session with with Bring Me to Life. And like the, I just, all I could keep wondering is how did she get those sandbags up there? (laughs) And then like just to have them drop and then the mess afterwards. I feel like my priorities in life are very different. The cleanup would be a nightmare. (laughs) Yes. But the best part is that the last one drops and it has like the cutest drawing of Daredevil (laughs) you've ever seen. It's so adorable. (laughs) And then she kills it with her side sword. The best part is it's not that impressive of a sequence. Exactly. No, <laughs> it's just, it's just, just like stabbing at half things. speed stabbing. <laughs> right. like, uh, you're gonna um, lose. The, the the we're definitely um, very, uh, very slow. I feel like we've gotten a lot faster, and people have done yes different kinds of training to make mm. it look like more fluid. Um, as before, where it just even when they were fighting in the park, everything just seemed kind of very like slow and like, mm-hmm. oh, I can see your foot coming at me. So I'm going to take all this time to like block it. So it's just yeah. very like there's a lot of time for everything. But anyway, I still think it's cool just because I think the music makes it cool. And I do really like Jennifer oh, Garner. Totally. <laughs> so um, that was always fun to watch. And then um, Matt in his Daredevil costume, as Dare- so he's Daredevil now, looks for Electra. And he's like smelling for her, which was also kind of weird. <laughs> Again, <laughs> they really play up that particular sense. They in do. This movie. It's a little odd, but he finds her um, <laughs> on a rooftop and then they start fighting. He's trying to explain. She doesn't believe him. She beats him again. Um, and I don't know if he was just trying to go easy on her, but she, um, she definitely goes in on him more than she did before. And after she stabs him in the shoulder, um, she takes off his mask and finds out that it's Matt. Um, she becomes very emotional, realizing that, of course, she still loves him and cares about him. But um, I think Bullseye then makes his entrance. And I was trying to remember if he, like, confessed to killing her father. I don't know. And the other confusing thing, in addition to that, is his final scene with Fisk is that he says, I want a suit. But then he just then shows he up and he doesn't suit. have a suit. Right. And I was really disappointed about <sighs> that. That was, I, I thought, I, I thought that's what he said. I was like, I, I was looking for a suit and he never got one. And throughout the whole movie, whenever he moves his cape, it sounds like a snake, which I think is also pretty funny. So I don't know. <laughs> nice. I heard one interpretation is that he just keeps snakes in his pocket, <laughs> which <laughs> it would have been cool if he threw them out. Oh my gosh. He never misses. Secret snake. And he just like shoots it out. <laughs> oh my gosh (laughs) that would be great actually 
Um, but she's she's angry. She wants to avenge her father, so she fights him, but he ends up beating her and killing her with her own uh, weapon. Um, and just it's again, brutal. It is brutal. <laughs> and just like his father, he hears her. Um, he can only hear her die, so he hears her heartbeat stop as well. So of course, now we're at present day where he was in the beginning of the film in the church and he and bullseye find each other and they fight like hanging off the pipes and i've already started laughing because of how it ends (laughs) it's just like that detail i was like i didn't even know they made those organ pipes that wide where you could just hang off of them the spacing here gets nuts it is a little weird the uh it's like a normal um like church with an organ like a like a yeah. full organ so it's really big but then when they start jumping around on the organs and fighting it turns into a cg platform which this is early enough that like a cg world like a cg backdrop or whatever um and it then becomes massive like yes. they are like like it's a castlevania level like this yes. is huge <laughs> and it's just so confusing uh to keep up with at times but they keep a good amount of placement it's just the the room itself is changing a lot because of this until they get to the top and then they start fist fighting again right and we get some really really goofy scenes that i just (laughs) love uh and then we get of course the best scene in this fight scene uh which i've already imitated (laughs) before in the patreon discussion it's so funny. I don't know if my wife remembered this part. Well, so the fight concludes with uh, uh, Bullseye's about to, like, it seems like he's about to kill Daredevil. He's got, they're like, they're fighting over Daredevil's stick, I guess, mm-hmm. or something. And uh, and Daredevil then hears from the distance a gun being uh, uh, loaded. And it's the sniper that's going to fire at them. And so what Daredevil cleverly does is when the bullet's fired, he pulls the stick close enough to pull Bullseye's hands <laughs> in front of the bullet oh, so that so that the I bullet goes that. through his hands like <laughs> in a church. So that <laughs> Bullseye oh my is like knelt before Daredevil. And he's screaming, my hands, my hands, when he holds them out. So it looks like he's about to be crucified. It is so (laughs) funny. (laughs) But it's like, it's framed too close to Colin Farrell. So he has to hold his hands like in frame and starts to put them out of frame. But then he pulls them back into frame because you can tell he knows they're going out of frame. I remember that now. But it's all on top of the fact that it's so like, it's just stupid, really stupid. Oh my god! Christ imagery. It's so funny. It just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, like, not in the slightest. <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> you know? I don't think they're trying to say anything at this point. It's cool, Dad. It's so funny. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, and then yes, oh, well. he throws him out the window, and then he's like, um, just and doesn't, doesn't kill him, doesn't which doesn't does kill not him. kill him. And then I guess the sniper only took one bullet because he was like bullseye. Well, and he's disappointed out, because so Daredevil made a mess. <laughs> so bullseye too will show up in the next movie uh double d fully loaded uh and uh yeah did you know cinematic doctrine has a blog visit cinematicdoctrine.com to read extended thoughts on movies or movie industry news from our contributors plus you can find our podcast on there too but the movie's not over no, so now um, Daredevil has renewed energy and does his acrobatic leaping all the way to Fisk's building, where he and Fisk have their boss like match where they're beating each other up. And I think it's at the scene where Fisk 
finds out who he is and that he was the one that killed his father. Isn't that what takes place? Did I remember that correctly? He finds out that um, he does correlate the rose um, in particular to Fisk. So that's why he knows to go find Wilson Fisk because of the roses. And then, uh, yeah, he gets all the way upstairs. We don't have any like fights, cool hallway fight scenes like the Marvel Netflix show. Unfortunately. um, But we do get a pretty cool fight scene with Wilson Fisk, which I quite enjoyed. And I believe in the extended cut, this scene is longer. Um, I've seen some scenes from it and it's pretty dope, but uh, which is great too, because we get some more Wilson Fisk, uh, which is just, I guess, a good character. Unlike Electra, where it's uh, zero and two for Dan, and also for me, I must agree. Mm. Um, Fisk in both of these movies is just incredibly charismatic and enjoyable um, to watch. And uh, yeah, this fight scene I think is pretty cool and has a cool result. I think the result of it's pretty, pretty, not just aesthetically enjoyable, but thematically works in that like he yeah. uses the rain. Um, he he's fighting Fisk and he's getting overpowered, but he uses the sp- water sprinklers. He sets them off. And he uses the rain to fight Fisk, which thematically is kind of neat because he's combining the romantic thing. That's the, the rain is a romantic positive thing for him, and he's now using it to release some rage uh, to fight uh, Fisk, which I right. quite quite enjoy. Yeah, th- it's it's a smart and intelligent movie, if I do say so myself. Of which I say so. So I said it. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, he has a chance, Daredevil gets the upper hand, he gets a chance to kill him, but then decides not to, because he's like, I'm not the bad guy. And I think that kind of takes that little arc, like full circle where he realizes he doesn't want to kill anymore. At least that's what it seemed like. And so Mm he, um, Kingpin gets arrested and, um, we have, you know, we see Matt moving on. He and Foggy are discussing the kingpin at the cafe. But, of course, we have a scene where um, Matt hears a woman coming to the door. But, of course, he smells Electra. Smells more women. It smells more women, but it's not the same. <laughs> so he, um, as he's kind of walking around just in his feelings, he finds a, a Braille necklace. And I guess that's to allude that she's alive mm-hmm. and not dead. And Yurik. Yes at the end writes a whole article exposing Matt as the daredevil, but then he takes the long way to delete it. Yes. <laughs> Which I yeah. also thought was awesome. Just so the music can mount and get loud and awesome. Right. And it's like one man can make a difference is like kind of the, one of the last. And then he says, go get him tiger. Yeah, I don't know go why, get him. <laughs> and daredevil is just going to continue being daredevil. And that's the movie. <laughs> and we get a post credit scene before I guess they were normalized, which is yeah, kind of neat. He kills a bullseye. bullseye kills a fly with a syringe. Oh, I forgot about cool. that part. Yes, and I actually did love that. I was like, see, you can just grab anything. So what do we uh where do we you know, it's at this point almost it's I don't know when Daredevil released what month. I but it was two thousand three, so it's been about twenty years at this point. What do we think about this uh, movie? Does it like as in this post Iron Man Marvel Netflix? world marvel world um where superhero movies are very much a formula which is both changing and dying at the same time changing in that marvel seems to be doing weird things now which are mm-hmm. exhausting to me and then dying because black, black adam and dc can't still wow. can't figure it out um daredevil uh is kind of in this sweet spot where it's not in the um you know 
classic Superman era of superhero movies, but not in this current Marvel era. How does that, how are we feeling about this rewatch of Daredevil? Dan, where, where are you at with it? Uh, so <clears throat> I've always felt that the reputation of the movie was always unfair. It's people, people, the, it's one of those movies that the general consensus appears to be. That's not a good movie. Uh, that is despite the fact that uh, Ebert and Roper gave, both give it thumbs up. So I'll just, yeah, I saw that on that. the back of my cover. I was like, Oh, cool. um, you know, it's not like a perfect movie. It's very much of its time. It's extremely goofy and silly, uh, particularly in the action and soundtrack choices, which, you know, it's aged it, like fine wine. It is frankly, it, it, the soundtrack. It, it has gone all the way around to being from being cool at the time. I assume is to that. I remember thinking the music was cool. Cause I was, you know, a young, a young young kid um or youngish and now it's gone around to like being almost like like meme status kind of ironic good where anytime you bring up this movie on social media or or the internet someone will there was a period where anytime someone brought up daredevil like the ben affleck movie you just see some reply with just wake me up like in all caps and I was like, what a wonderful legacy <laughs> this this movie has. <laughs> That's has that great. movie that bring me to life is in um but in it also, yes, it is firmly now in hindsight in the shadow of the the TV show that came out on Netflix and now is on Disney Plus, which is just great. Like, it's a great show. They really get the character down perfect. All the actors are great. Their versions of the characters are all great, particularly their version of Wilson Fisk, uh, the Kingpin. Uh, but with all that said, it's this move. I find this movie to be it's just a movie that for whatever reason, like you, you described just a collection of scenes and that's very accurate. It kind of moves along at a very strange pace, but there's a lot of individually good scenes in it that I think um, either are just good or you can see that like with, with being kind and generous to the movie, because it is, it is now 20 years old. You can see what they were going for at the time. And there's a lot of individual highlights and I'm looking forward to watching the director's cut at some point. So I can see that version and see if it really does really improve everything. Um, so overall, I think it's a perfectly fine superhero movie. Like if you, I, I like the Daredevil character, so I am a bit predisposed to enjoy it. I think Ben Affleck's performances at Matt as Matt Murdock are pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. There are some scenes where he's the Daredevil and they're just kind of awkward. Um, I have not seen Electra the film, so I don't know if Jennifer Gardner really nails a character there. Um, I don't think she gets much to really do in this movie, to be quite honest, outside of no, being she like present and something that moves a plot forward. And of course you have this wonderful over the top performances from Colin Farrell and Michael Clark Duncan. I just, it's a, it's a, it's a silly movie. It's, it's, it's very, very silly. It's very, very dated, but I think it's enjoyable if you're into this kind of movie, if you like superhero movies that are a little goofy, <laughs> a little more overly stylized, and from this time period, I think it's much better than like the Fantastic Four movies or the Ghost mm-hmm. Rider movies or Catwoman or you way know, better. Oh, my any, gosh. Any number of movies actually for that time. So um, and most of the X-Men movies, to be honest. So um, I you know, I'm going to go against the critics here. I'm going to go against the general consensus and say I think this movie is totally fine for what it is. So what about you, Melanie? I would say the same thing. I think it it's very much of its time. Um, I think that when I remember watching this film and thinking it was super cool, um, 
And again, you'll look back and you'll see like, oh, the special effects aren't that great. And some of the the scenes are a little bit, um, some of the scenes are a little bit uh, cheesy. But again, I, I agree with Dan. There's just a lot of really great um, moments and a lot of great scenes in the film that I think just kind of give it, um, just give it that character. I think it's just very, it's very charming. And I think it's, um, I think it's just a good time. Um, but I do think the actors just do a good job with, again, with what they, with what they had. And, um, at first as I was watching it, I was like, I really just don't like this. Um, <laughs> like as I was like rewatching it, but then as I got towards the end, I was like, you know what? I actually do think I like this. I, I think this is just really, really fun. And again, you take it for what it is and not every movie has to be, has to take itself so seriously. And I think that's kind of what I liked about some of the early superhero films. While I do still love a lot of Marvel films and kind of the other aspects they brought to it, especially early on. Um, I do like the early superhero films just for being fun or campy or just um, not, not being afraid to be a little bit more on the cartoony side. Cause I think that's just what made it fun for me as a kid to watch it. Yeah. I, I think, um, I think it's good. I I actually don't dislike the movie by any means. And I, I also too, Dan, am excited to watch the director's cut because like I enjoy <laughs> this collection of scenes because yeah, it, it feels disjointed. It feels incomplete. Uh, this theatrical cut, obviously, um, because it's been so heavily trimmed down and saved in certain ways. And yeah, I, but I don't think it's like, like the suits cool and i think the sequences look good the fight scenes are fine enough there's some spectacle to what's going on like i said the performances are the in the villains are fun like we all said the performances in the villains are fun so that's really enjoyable yeah i i think if i think this movie probably would have a better legacy if it was the longer cut in theaters and but it, it was so early in the world of like superhero movies that I don't, I don't think people were entirely confident about like watching people in spandex Joe go around fighting people. Like that just wasn't a thing yet. So um, it was all a risk at that point, but now like every superhero movie that comes out is too long. Um, mm. So I guess I, I guess I just need to eat some crow and, and stop, but uh, <laughs> it is what it is, but I guess, uh, I guess we'll cut into recommendations then and, and close us out. So what, um, cool. What recommendation do you have for us, uh, Dan? What's, what do you got? Uh, I am going to recommend a book, uh, that's been around for a while, but I just popped it open the other day and started reading it and it was so interesting, immediately interesting and fascinating. Uh, it's Steve Martin's book called born St- standing up. It is a relatively short book. That's sort of a collection of him talking about his early, uh, his early career becoming a stand-up comedian and just sort of his journey from that and what led him to eventually be the, uh, famous actor he is now. And just him, like he's always been a fascinating guy. For those who don't know, before he got into comedy, he studied psychology. And what caused him to start getting into like writing jokes and stuff is he just sort of learned the psychology of what makes people laugh. And his style of stand-up is so strange and offbeat. Like if you've never actually gone back and watched the early footage of him doing his show, it's really bizarre. Hmm. Um, but in a way, it's really interesting. And so he actually goes through some of his like early bits, how he started like getting up on stage and that sort of thing. He's just a really good writer and he's really good at uh, articulating things. And like the, even the first like two chapters, I was just, I was like laughing out loud reading it because 
his descriptions of his early attempts at like making jokes and doing bits on stage are so strange, but also so funny. Um, it's, it's, it's great. So you could probably find a copy of it at almost any given used bookstore. Uh, I got mine for free when a library was closing down in my town. Uh, and I just haven't, hadn't read it in, since I got it. So it's called Born Standing Up um, by Steve Martin. Cool. What do you got, Melanie? Um, I was going to recommend the movie Overlord. Whoa, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I when I first saw it, I was like, oh, I'm going to hate this movie. But I actually ended up <laughs> really, really liking it. And I love when that happens. I kind of go in not sure. And then I'm like, you know, my mind is like completely blown. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a movie about a small group of American soldiers who find horror behind the enemy lines on the eve of D-Day. And so it's, I, I think the, the cast was, was done really well. Um, I think the, the special effects that they did for the film was fantastic. Um, it was, if, so if you're someone who kind of enjoys like, it's not exactly a zombie film. I don't know if I would really classify it as one. What do you think? Yeah. It's like a, it's like a Wolfenstein movie kind of in that, like you still see people killing Nazis, which is always good. Uh, but then <laughs> you have, um, like the paranormal fun stuff of like a, what a Wolfenstein, uh, style yeah. thing will do. I would recommend it. I think it's, I think it's great. If you're someone who's a little bit squeamish about like things that are a little bit horrific, then maybe this isn't the film for you. Cause there's a lot of that, but, um, but yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah. It's, that's a, that's a good one. I remember seeing that one in theaters. We were really excited for that one. Um, I also am going to recommend another movie. I actually just watched this one today. Um, it is one that I, uh, was kind of trying to catch for a while and then just kind of kept putting it off. Um, and I think it's been name dropped on the podcast before. Uh, it's called we're all going to the world's fair. It's on HBO max right now. Um, by Jane Schoenbrunn. It is a, huh? What do I call this? It's an analog internet semi found footage horror movie i say semi because there are parts that are uh in a third person prose um but not always and then it's found footage in that it's basically built around youtube videos where like this one uh girl is going to do the world's fair challenge which is where you do this particular challenge uh watch a video and then you see if paranormal things happen to you and you document them and so she starts to do that and it's um it's i'm still thinking about it whether or not i think it's great or good i think it has great things in it um it is short 86 minutes so it's worth just watching anyway it is creepy is what Mm. i'll go with it's um there's no like jump scares. There's nothing particularly crazy, but it very much is constructed around the around internet culture, and specifically, I would say depressed internet culture. Um, so, if you've ever had a really low self vibe and you've just watched the YouTube autoplay, or even just been on YouTube for hours in bed, and then that was like your day. Uh, this really, really captures that experience and turns it into kind of a narrative where you're never quite sure what you're seeing is authentic or not. And that almost adds more to what's frightening about it. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a movie that I would say wasn't necessarily scary, but was very uncomfortable. And that mm. to me is like, if you like horror that isn't shocking you or jump scaring you, but can give you other 
ex experiences that you might consider negative, um, quote unquote, not immoral negative, just, you know, things that are not happy. Uh, this one's a right. good one for that. And it gives you a lot to think about. And frankly, I'd, I'd love to hear what people think about it. And so maybe in the future, we'll do it on the show in some capacity for Halloween. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's good. We're all going to the World's Fair. Check it out. Um, and uh, yeah, if you grew up on creepypasta, slender vlogs and internet horror stuff, it's just one of those again. It's and uh, it's a it's a blast. So check it out. HBO Max. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review and subscribing to the podcast. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Sherlyon, and Thomas. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.